the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Friday, April 1st, 2022. Think for a moment about three things. One, the war on boys. Two, the value of children's education and entertainment. Three, what the culture used to know and not that long ago. Let's start in reverse. In 1997, Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers fame was inducted in the Television Hall of Fame. You'd recognize everyone in the audience. Many of them are obviously a little older now, but you still see them, many of them, at the Academy Awards, etc. And at that 1997 ceremony, the audience was mostly in tears, remembering how much they loved or missed Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. This was the speech where Mr. Rogers said the following, to unanimous applause, I shall quote, Fame is a four-letter word, and like tape or Zoom or face, or pain, or life, or love, what ultimately matters is what we do with it. I feel that those of us in television are chosen to be servants. It doesn't matter what our particular job, we are chosen to help meet the deeper needs of those who watch and listen day and night. The conductor of the orchestra, the Hollywood Bull, grew up in a family that had little interest in music. But he often tells people he found his early inspiration from the fine musicians on television. Last month, 13-year-old boy abducted an 8-year-old girl, and when people asked him why, he said he learned about it on TV. Something different to try, he said. Life's cheap. What does it matter? Well, life isn't cheap, Fred Rogers continued. It's the greatest mystery of any millennium, and television needs to do all it can to broadcast that, to show and tell what the good in life is all about. But how do we make goodness attractive? by doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own, by treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves, and allowing that to inform everything that we produce. Close quote. This would be a year, when he said that, where there was a great deal of talking and writing and testifying about violence and sexuality in Hollywood and in music, especially rap music. Civil rights activists, Joe Lieberman, Bill Bennett, Wynton Marcellus, others were going on and on about this. What was being marketed and sold to kids for their entertainment was, to put it no higher, troubling. Again, recall when Mr. Rogers said it, unanimous applause. And until Barack Obama and since John F. Kennedy, I don't think there was a president more beloved by or wrapped up in constituencies from what we generally call Hollywood. Indeed, many of the old famous FOBs, if you remember that term, Friends of Bill, were Hollywood producers and directors and, yes, actors, talking about Bill Clinton. For it was the year before that, in 1996, that in his State of the Union speech, President Clinton said the following, quote, All strong families begin with taking more responsibility for our children. I have heard Mrs. Gore say that it's hard to be a parent today, but it's even harder to be a child. So all of us, not just as parents, but all of us in our other roles, our media, our schools, our teachers, our communities, our churches and synagogues, our businesses, our governments, all of us have a responsibility 
to help our children to make it and to make the most of their lives and their God-given capacities. To the media, Clinton went on, I say you should create movies and CDs and television shows you'd want your own children and grandchildren to enjoy. I call on Congress to pass a requirement for a V-chip in TV sets so that parents can screen out programs they believe are inappropriate for their children. When parents control what their young children see, that is not censorship. That is enabling parents to assume more personal responsibility for their children's upbringing, and I urge them to do it, close quote. Odd, when Bill Clinton supported parents directing the upbringing of their kids over and against other institutions, that was the popular thing, and to repeat, not censorship, or book banning, as we discussed yesterday, which turns me for a moment to how children learn things. And as many of you know, I'm fascinated by how they learn via literature, stories, fairy, and folk tales. The landmark work on this was done by psychiatrist Bruno Benelheim in his book, The Uses of Enchantment. He writes, quote, An understanding of the meaning of life is not suddenly acquired at the age of chronological maturity or at any particular age. This achievement is the result of a long development. Wisdom is built up small step by small step. Unfortunately, too many parents want their children's minds to function as their own do, as if a child's understanding of himself and the world did not have to develop as slowly as his body does. The child must therefore be helped to bring order into the turmoil of his feelings. He needs a moral education that subtly, by implication, conveys to him the advantages of moral behavior through that which seems tangibly right and therefore has a meaning for him. Bettelheim would go on to write, quote, For a story to truly hold the child's attention, it must entertain him and arouse his curiosity. But to enrich his life, it must stimulate his imagination, help him to develop his intellect and to clarify his emotions, be attuned to his anxieties and aspirations, give full recognition to his difficulties, while at the same time, suggesting solutions to the problems which perturb him. In short, it must at one and the same time relate to all aspects of his personality and this without ever belittling, but on the contrary, given full credence to the seriousness of the child's predicaments while simultaneously promoting in the child the right thing to do. In all these and many other respects of the entire children's literature, with rare exceptions, nothing can be as enriching and satisfying to child and adult alike as the fairy folk tale. True, on an overt level, fairy tales teach little about the specific conditions of life in modern mass society. These tales were created long before it came into being. But more can be learned from them about the inner problems of human beings and of the right solutions to their predicaments in any society than from any other type of story within a child's comprehension. Since the child at every moment of his life is exposed to the society in which he lives, he will certainly learn to cope with its conditions provided his inner resources permit him to do so. The point of good children's stories is to help the child cope later in life as he develops in life. Bettelheim would conclude, unlike many, excuse me, unlike many modern stories for children, fairy tales present evil as being no less omnipresent than virtue. It is this duality that poses the moral problem and requires our struggle to solve it. Bettelheim goes on to point out something interesting for children. Characters, unlike adults in real life, are not good and bad. 
they are good or bad because polarization dominates a child's mind and requires such instruction for recognizing those very characteristics of life when they do unfold and which to choose which way to go. You know this from an even older source. The wisest of all men, we are told, said, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I froze on Bettelheim's word polarization. Now think about what we used to call the war against boys or toxic masculinity from those waging that war. Children's therapist Erica Komisar put it this way in the Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago, quote, In my practice as a psychotherapist, I've seen an increase of depression in young men who feel emasculated in a society that is hostile to masculinity. New guidelines from the American Psychological Association define traditional masculinity as a pathological state, and it's likely to make matters worse. True, over the past half century, ideas about femininity and masculinity have evolved, sometimes for the better. But the APA guidelines demonize masculinity rather than embracing its positive aspects. In a press release, the APA asserts flatly that, quote, traditional masculinity marked by stoicism, competitiveness, dominance and aggression is on the whole harmful, close quote. The APA claims that masculinity is to blame for the oppression and abuse of women. The report encourages clinicians to evaluate masculinity as an evil to be tamed rather than a force to be integrated. Think about that. It's not toxic masculinity that needs to be tamed, just masculinity. We could go on and on how boys are shamed for being boys. We've done it before. I suppose you see some of this in classes that shame whites for being white. But you can't change your skin color, and until yesterday you could not change your being a boy. And for added irony, think about the kinds of fairy tales Bruno Bettelheim is describing. Think about Snow White and other great Disney productions that worked their magic in sync with what Dr. Bettelheim was teaching that children needed. Dr. Christina Hoff Summers put it this way over two decades ago, two decades ago, quote, boys do not need to be rescued from their masculinity, but they are not getting the help they need in the climate of disapproval in which the boys now exist. They need support, close quote. Everyone knew this. All literature and all philosophy knew this. Bill Clinton and Fred Rogers were celebrated not just by the country, but by entertainment moguls who also knew this. Today, an entirely new effort has been underway. Not a throwing in of the towel, a burning of it, and the boxing ring it metaphorically is thrown into. Do we think it's an accident that we went from toxic masculinity to when researchers started publishing on this about five or ten years ago, the trend where boys were wanting to become girls? Do you think that's an accident? Here's my conclusion. You can confuse children or you can educate them in the mind and in the morals. Teddy Roosevelt once put it that to educate a man in the mind and not the morals is to educate a menace to society. You can surrender to children's feelings and tantrums, or you can nurture and nurse and direct the child's emotions. It is imperative that children experience some discomfort and not have it always appeased. Dr. Heather Hang and her husband Brett Weinstein write, rather than capitulate, 
to children's transient feelings and tantrums, they should be nurtured and tamed. To give in to every immediate whim and desire is wrong. There used to be a word for that capitulation or surrender. Spoil. That's the word. Spoiling the child. Children are perfectly designed to acquire and to want to acquire the skill set that they will need as adults. We moderns have disrupted this to a remarkable degree. Children will self-program if we let them. And if we let them, we will yield children in adult bodies. This is what we have now and why, to go back to Bettelheim, so many parents want their children's minds to function as their own do, which is why we also have boys and girls making decisions to be in girls' and boys' bodies, the bodies they choose. We spoke of surrender a moment ago in discussing the war against children that the progressive education movement began in earnest in the 1940s and 1950s. Hannah Arendt put it that there are certain forms of surrender adults may not declare in the presence of children. Well, the white flag is flying pretty high right now, and we're going to need a metaphysical Iwo Jima hoisting of a better flag rather quickly if we plan to recapture both adulthood and childhood and also everything we once esteemed based on the things we used to know. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, your open lines, Friday, 602-508-0960. Let's go to Doug in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. How the heck are you, Seth? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well myself. Um, another stirring show. I want to thank you. Oh, thank you. And oftentimes I, I find your your subject, you can make up what might be deemed a ordinary subject and you turn it into something extraordinary and that's the sign of a good teacher oh well thank you doug thank you very much yeah well you know i should tell remind me bill by the way bill remind me um i should i should tell people how i do this at some point how, how i do my monologues it might be interesting for folks go ahead doug go ahead yeah i i think we'd all enjoy it thanks um i think this relates to everything in life. I kind of think holistically that uh, we can't isolate the personal with the social and the political uh, because much of the philosophy and aspects of human nature are all interchangeable. They apply to many things. And um, you got into, and I think we're in a situation where we as conservatives have to start being the grown ups. Um, the left loves and believes in their cause, and they're willing to fight for it. And we have to ask ourselves, if we're not willing to fight for it, do we even believe in our cause? Do we believe in liberty? Uh, do we believe in faith if we hide and hope someone else does the fighting? Hmm. You know, and, and I think we have to decide if we're going to be the grown-ups. If in a um, child-parent um, relationship... You are not a good parent if you just spoil the child. By giving the child everything in his emotional whim, you are not teaching him emotional courage. Right. 
you're teaching and, and, a, you're creating I, a menace to society, as Roosevelt put it. You are creating a menace to society. I right. was talking to one young lady, and I was asking her because she was thinking discipline is cruel. And mm-hmm. sometimes my son-in-law believes in that. It comes from an abusive family, and I said, "You've never seen discipline. Discipline, if it's applied rightly as a parent, is really nothing more than an exciting, vibrant chance to teach." I used to get excited when they screwed up and acted like a bonehead because <laughs> that meant I knew what I knew what I was going to be teaching for yeah. the next two weeks. Yeah, you know, it gave me a chance to teach a principle, and 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 so I asked this lady, young lady, and I said, "So you believe in osmosis, osmosis parenting?" And she goes, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And I, it was simple. I said, "In math, you expect to be taught the principles of mathematics. Right. In science, you expect." be taught the principles of mathematics. In human interaction and morality and spirituality, you don't want to teach that, so you have to believe in osmosis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen by itself. And when we leave that to be undirected and unmolded, it will usually descend to the most animalistic and self-serving. Because that is our basic nature. Children are the most self-serving, egotistical little things. It's yep. all about themselves. Yeah, yeah. And and the woman is like, oh, children are perfect. I said, your children, is your children, my children, and all of children are very self-serving. If they don't get exactly what they want, they're screaming crazy. Right. And I said, that's not a thing. I love children. I'm a scout leader. I love my three kids. I love my grandkids. I love teaching. But I said, you have to realize we have to be excited to teach and mold but you have to realize that in molding, you will displease the person who is being molded sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you're going for their pleasure, you will destroy the people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The best teachers were the hardest on me. That's right. That's right, because they the cared about you. It showed that they gave the a damn. Teachers. It showed that they gave yeah. a damn. They cared that you knew you're something right. or did something. Well, yeah. so, and it's that way politically. Yeah. It's like if we aren't willing to teach our principles and fight for our principles, and we're expecting it to happen by osmosis. No, you're right. I mean, I learned to write from teachers that used a lot of red ink. I didn't learn to write from teachers that just accepted what I put in because, you know, they either didn't care or they just wasn't important to them or they thought someone else would teach me how to write. Oh, and, and in art. I, my wife, my dear wife, Susan. Hold, hold the thought a second, Doug. I, I want to focus on this a minute. Hold, hold, hold that thought. i got to take a quick commercial break. And as I head to break, let me put in a word for Balance of Nature and their fruits and veggies, which I take every single day and love. Balanceofnature.com. Their fruits and veggies are whole food nutrition, pure potent plant power. It's the only whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in them are fruits and vegetables, a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. Take it every single day. It has kept me well for three years, and you can too. Balanceofnature.com, balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're talking with Doug and Maricopa about a lot of things having to do with character formation, children, and uh, the difference, I guess uh, you could say, the difference that needs to be re-explained and uh, redistinguished between parents and adults and children, parents and children, adults and youth. 
Uh, Doug, uh, you were in the midst of making a point if you wanted to continue. Yes. Well, I was going to say, just give another example of um, learning in that if we expect not to constantly and get excited about it, enjoy it, look for, look, you know, people say, you're so critical. I'm not critical. I'm watching the behavior and observing of what the things I get to teach. It's not a negative. It's not overwhelming. It's, just, it's an exciting opportunity to set up a program to teach it. And you don't have to teach everything. You pick the major principles and teach it in a solid form, that almost like a curriculum. And then when something else arises, because they're always going in the new stages just to baffle you, then you get to pick new things you get to teach. Now, like I was saying, what, one of the things I started to say, when it's no different than art. When one of the first things... Um, and this is relating to one of some of our Russian friends. There was a Jewish uh, refugee from Russia um, who was a sculptor, a very famous sculptor, just a genius. And uh, he said one of the problems he has with Americans is our inability to accept criticism. We've become emotionally weak. Yeah, yeah. In other words, to him in Russia with, uh, with art, it was about being good mm-hmm. and about being brilliant right what can i learn right in america we've become something perverse yeah it's what stro- emotional stroking can you give me right and um it, it, and, and we're perverse and these are the adults and they're perpetuating that with their kids thinking they have to constantly emotionally stroke them yeah and and prevent them from any struggle I, I would like to tell all the parents out there, your kids will not n- learn to handle with grace and dignity and passion struggle if they don't struggle. No, that's they right. They'll end up being learn. children in adults' bodies. That's what they'll be. That's exactly. They'll be 30-year-olds. Arrested, is, is, arrested development is yeah. one of many phrases that come to mind. Yeah. Yes. You cannot learn self-control unless you're taught self-control. And that you cannot learn to overcome with failure with passion and grace until you fail and told that you failed, but told the nobility of trying again. You, you can't learn these things unless you do those things. When I was taught by my wife to paint way back decades and decades ago, she was my mentor. And the thing I had to get used to was she was taught by Russian masters. And so she, she would get excited and they couldn't believe that this American got excited when they ripped apart her, her work. Yeah. But she was passionate about the perfection of what she could learn. And so she'd walk right in there and scrape down a whole day's work. Just scrape it down and say, that was terrible. Now, here's what, here's what you've got to look for this next time. And I was horrified. All right, my, and what, she, what I had to come to realize, it was my ego that was bruised. Yeah. And so the question I had to ask, ask myself, was I in love with the craft of art and craft of creating more than I was defending my ego. And we have to teach that same thing to our kids, but they can't do it unless they struggle in it. And I remember a couple of years ago, I read something from an old Catholic uh, prayer book, and it was going in the nobility of struggle. Mm -hmm. And the nobility was from the 1890s. And I was basically talking about how our society has become perverse in its self-gratification. Instead of finding nobility and beauty and richness in the struggle that is the human existence. Yep. 
and that and one of the things that's said in that Catholic book is you should find peace and solace and nobility in that you you find you are experiencing no pain that hasn't been endured before. Mm-hmm. This is nothing new. We we act like our pain's the only pain. We act like our struggle's the only struggle. We need to begin to teach ourselves so that we can teach our children and mold them in, because if we do this properly, it is not oppressive. Discipline is not oppressive. By the time my kids were in their teens, I hardly had to discipline them. They were passionate uh, go-getters all by themselves. I could give them more liberty because I didn't have to worry about them. But they will be passionate, and they will be unstoppable. But, but you're, they, you're right in the sense, Doug, I have to take the break. You're right in the sense, in, in almost every sense, uh, and we have known this for a long time. I mean, I could find quote after quote. The one that you're sending me to is Thomas uh, Paine's point in the, um, in the American crisis. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. By the way, that includes the distinction between parent and child and adult and youth. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. So the administration, the Biden administration, on its quest to, um, I, I guess, I guess, follow the notion that the worse the better, has announced its ending, uh, its use of Title Forty Two. Interesting thing, you don't see this in the stories uh, much about it. Title, the use of Title Forty Two to help protect our border was invoked by President Donald Trump. Joe Biden ended it, and then reinstituted it. You don't see this very much in the stories, but I remember in one of my first trips, one of my first, no, it wasn't that. It was a a subsequent trip to the border. We were talking about Joe Biden needing to reinstitute Title 42, which he ultimately did, and now is ending it again. Let me give you some Byron York. The border, the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol Raul Ortiz recently said his officers have encountered one million illegal border crossers in the first six months of this year. Uh, Excuse me, of fiscal year 2022, which starts last year. First six months of fiscal year 2022. That is since October 1st. Okay, since October 1st, one million illegal border crossers. That is a big increase over the previous fiscal year 2021 when there were 1.7 million encounters in the entirety of the year. And that was a big increase over fiscal year 2020 during the pandemic when there were under five, just under 500,000 encounters. And fiscal year 2019, when there were less yet. Now, with 1 million in just the first half of the year and with the peak migration months not yet begun, The Border Patrol is overwhelmed. The flow of illegal border crossers increased virtually from the moment President Joe Biden took office after campaigning on a platform of allowing more illegal crossers to stay in the United States. Biden has made good on his promise, allowing hundreds of thousands of illegal crossers to stay, relocating them on secret flights to cities all around the country. It has been a crisis since January 2021. Now, Biden. Sorry. It has been a crisis since January 2021. Now Biden proposes to make it much 
worse as the administration lifts Title 42 measures that allow the U.S. to turn back illegal border crossers on grounds of protecting the country against the coronavirus pandemic. Left-wing activists and open borders advocates have been pressuring Biden to end Title 42 ever since the administration began. Biden resisted in the first year of his presidency. Now he will give in to the pressure. It's expected to create, Byron reports, a rush of illegal crossers at the border, a prediction even the White House does not dispute. Kate Bedingfield, the White House communications director, said on Wednesday, quote, we have every expectation that when Title 42 is lifted, there will be an influx of people to the border, close quote. I'll get back to Byron in a moment. I want you to think about that admission by the director of White House Communications. We have every expectation that when Title 42 is lifted, there will be an influx of people to the border. We can't handle the problem now, and the White House is engaging in a policy they admit will lead to more of it. We are at breaking point now, and the Director of Communications for the White House is saying they are on a path to make it worse. To make it worse. For more than a week, administration sources have been trying to prepare the nation for what is coming. This week, the New York Times reported that Homeland Security officials describing contingency plans for managing as many as 18,000 encounters a day at the border. Think about that. 18,000 a day. Those officials said that not just the Department of Homeland Security, but also the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, plus other federal agencies are preparing, quote, to have on standby additional personnel, transportation and medical assistance and temporary facilities for processing migrants. 18,000 a day. That would be more than 3.2 million in the next six months, even if the real number is half that. It would smash the record that has just been set. No wonder the emergency agencies of the U.S. government are involved. Quote, there is no imaginable scenario for them to avoid another disaster, said Jessica Vaughn, director of policy studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. Title 42 has been a substitute under Biden, a convenient one for real border enforcement using immigration laws. They've had the best of both worlds, an easy way to efficiently refuse entry to enough migrants to enable them to deny the open borders critique without using detention while still allowing a huge number of families and vulnerable migrants to enter and get work permits. But we've all known that it would have to end at some point. Now the clock is ticking for them to come up with a plan to deal with the tsunami of new illegal border crossers from around the globe who reportedly are already flocking to Mexico in anticipation of even of even more lenient catch and release rules. There is no imaginable scenario for them to avoid another disaster. The word is out across the globe that the Biden administration likely will not send anyone home, most likely Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, will talk tough, but indulge the migrants to the maximum extent possible. Mayorkas will talk about processing immigrants, not returning them, 
He'll have reception centers instead of detention and ask for their names and fingerprints and then release them to go where they please. He will use gimmicks to justify granting asylum and work permits to give them a faux legal status. He will promise to remove failed asylum seekers but will devote no resources to locating them. The administration will do its best to whisk the migrants through some system. They believe they have nothing to lose. They are betting that even without one party ruled next year, it will be too hard to remove, deport, or block legal status for the millions they have let in. And when their party regains control, they can give out the green cards and cultivate a new generation of loyal Democratic voters. The message, over and over again, it's coming. It will not be a natural disaster, not an earthquake or a hurricane. It will be a man-made disaster, with the man in this case being Joe Biden. And that, of course, will have political repercussions. The stakes are high from both a humanitarian standpoint and a political one, the New York Times editorialized. Democrats do not want the southwest border to appear out of control in the months ahead of the midterm elections, which would fuel more Republican attacks on the Biden administration's border patrol policies. But how about be out of control? It's not the appearance. It's the being. And that is what the next months hold for us on the U.S.-Mexico border. They think this is ultimately good for the Democratic Party. At least give them the credit for thinking long-term and creatively of where they're going to get new Democratic Party voters. They're importing them. They're importing them for the long haul. Think about that as yet one more indice on Democrats caring more about their party than the country. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Greg's in Casa Grande. Hi, Greg. Hi, Seth. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, welcome. Thank you. Welcome aboard. Yeah, thank you. I was just uh, listening to what you were saying about this tsunami that they've created, and there I can't be the only one. I've been waiting. It's going on 14 months now for my green card to be updated, and I'm the sole uh, provider for my family, and without any kind of, you know, documentation, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna run into a situation where I can't uh, renew my driver's license. I might not be able to work. You know, you uh, and they keep telling. Yeah, th- this is this is the classically um, avoidable problem, Greg. That 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 bothers me to the core of my soul quite honestly it just bothers me to the core of my soul because this despite what the left says this is a this is a country and we are in a party that welcomes a lot of immigrants a lot of immigrants mm-hmm. uh, legally up to a million a year up to a million a year this yeah. this this systemically racist society that still has people wanting to come beyond those numbers and because we will not deal with the overflow And because we want to flood the zone, flood the system to break it, people who do it the way you did it, I'm assuming through the legal means and the right way, following all the rules, checking all the boxes, being patient, you're going to get – you know what I want to say. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I would love to um, apply for my citizenship. I had to 
restart my clock because we um, are. I had to take my family back to Canada uh, for employment reasons uh, back in 2009 and 10. But I have to first reapply for my uh, up my green card before I can, you know, apply for citizenship. Anyway, you know, so yeah, well, unbelievable um, that they're putting you to this. You're, you're, I know a lot of people in your position, a lot of people, and it doesn't have to be this way. For all the money they're throwing into the government and putting into the government, why they can't do this and why they can't solve the problem so that people aren't encouraged to act illegally is beyond comprehension. Until you look at it through the lens of the 1960s welfare activist program, which is to break the system, flood it in order to break it. The only thing I can offer is I, I, I can't. I mean, I, sarcastically, I was going to say move to New York where they allow immigrants to vote, I suppose. Uh, excuse me, where they allow non-citizen immigrants to vote. Uh, maybe maybe do that and express your will there, Greg, because this is absurd. It's absurd. It's nonsensical. It's actually evil. It's actually cruel. It actually hurts our immigration system. It's not humane. It's the opposite of humane. It's not civil. They are trying to break this country, and they are doing it by trying to break you. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.